when we look at our innovation uh, uh, approach we look at it from both sides outside in as well as inside out we don't want to innovate for the sake of innovation and we need to innovate for the real uh, pain points of a customer you don't want to solve your customer's problem you want to solve the problem exactly real quick note my family and I just got back from an incredible cruise with UnCruise. Now we'd experienced what cruising was like on a big ship with thousands of people. And frankly, it just wasn't for us. But this one was completely different. It was a small boat of less than 100. We had an amazing time where we saw whales and other wildlife, inspiring nature, hiking, kayaking, and bushwhacking, which is hiking without the trails. And we received incredibly personalized service guides who get you off the beaten path and gorgeous sunsets. Everything was so easy and with no lines. They provided incredible meals, including sustainable seafood, not to mention a list of impressive cocktails. My wife, daughter, and I loved it. When we returned, I asked UnCruise to become a show sponsor, and I was excited when they agreed. Right now, they're offering special deals on cruises in Baja, Mexico, and Alaska that includes the incredible luxury, service, and adventure that we experience. To learn more, go to benleads.com slash cruise. That's benleads.com slash cruise for the latest deals. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. And welcome back to Lead the Team. Today, I have for you KS, who is the Sensormatic Solutions Chief Technology Officer, who leads a team of over 450 professionals. Now, Sensormatic, in case you're not familiar with it, is the market leader in loss prevention, inventory intelligence, and traffic insights with the vision to become the global leader enabling smart and connected shopper engagement. Their organization makes a huge impact each and every day around the globe, including for 70% of the top 100 global retailers, having solutions in over 185,000 stores, 34 billion items protected in the last decade, tracking 150,000 plus managed devices in 70,000 stores gathering data across 40 billion shopper visits per year. Y'all, this is a big episode. KS is driving this organization on the bleeding edge of technology. Can't wait to dig in. KS, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me in your show. So let's get this kicked off. How did you get the nickname KS? Wow, it's a long story. <laughs> My... My full name goes as Subramanian Kunchidupadam, but uh, I obviously I'm from India. When I grew up uh, in India, you write the name with the initial. The initial is nothing but your father's name. My father's name is Kunchidupadam. You write K dot and then the first name, Subramanian. So that's how most of my certificates and school records, everything will show mm -hmm. in India as K Subramanian. And that's how I was nicknamed as KS. When I come to US, you have to put your first name, that is Subramanian, and the last name is my father's uh, name, that is Kunchidapadam. So that's why many, many people in the U.S. 
they get confused why you should be called SK. Why are you called KS? So that's the story behind the KS nickname. Yeah, and it gives you a great story to be able to inform people of what Indian culture is like, right? Culture different, yeah. Yeah, it's different sometimes. And uh, so I'm curious, when you're in India, do you introduce yourself with your full name or do you use the initials also? Yeah, nowadays I go by KS, even all my friends, everybody goes by KS, but in India, typically you introduce by your first name, that is Subramanian. Okay. And when you made that change to introducing yourself by KS, did you notice a difference in, in the response that people give you versus when you introduce your full name? Uh, no, actually, because in the college days and school days and college days, it said I got nicknamed this way and then I got known that way. So it become, uh, All right. Be, so that's common. your calling so, card now. On your business card, does it just say KS? No, it says Subramanian Kunjusbadam, bracket KS, so that people know that it's an alias so, name. So if you introduce yourself to someone that's Indian yeah, and they see it, do they say frequently say your full name or do they get right to KS2? They try to tell me Subramanian, but once they know that everybody else is okay. calling me KS, they'll go to KS. Man, I love little nuances like that. So now yeah. your 450 uh, team members know. Yep. Know the story if you haven't told them. The about. entire company knows. My entire Sensomatic Solutions know me as KS, <laughs> okay. even though my name is big. <laughs> great, great. Okay. Well, let's dive into it a bit more than what's your favorite leadership story. In the early part of my career, I started my career with Motorola India and way back in 2004, the Motorola Global Software Group that I was working for was going through a major uh, reorganization. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the Global Software Group had uh, software centers all across the world and different countries. And they were structured as one uh, software group. And they were breaking that organization apart into based on if you're serving a networks business, they're creating a dedicated networks uh, division. And if you're serving a mobile devices business, they were creating a dedicated mobile devices division. As part of the re reorganization, there were a lot of opportunities that were opening up. And I was a very successful and a star leader in the organization. And I was leading a, a very advanced technology group with uh, about 150 plus people uh, reporting into me. And there was no reason for me to go look for a new job or anything. But there was an interesting role that popped up called uh, Strategic Quality Manager. And this position reported into a very senior leader who was heading, who was going to head the entire networks business vertical across all countries globally. And uh, the role, uh, unfortunately, did not have any direct reports. It's a quality management role as an individual manager reporting into a very senior leader, but it had uh, uh, oversight responsibilities in seven countries. So my boss had operations in seven countries, and this uh, role should do uh, enable strategic quality and drive strategic quality decisions in all those uh, software centers. I had applied for that role. That surprised a lot of people in the company, including my manager, my colleagues, and uh, even my colleagues in US were uh, very, very intrigued by my move, saying, hey, why are you applying for that role? Because uh, you're a very successful guy. You're working on advanced technology products. 
suddenly you are applying for a quality role. And then the, one of the gentlemen, uh, still I remember the story, he pulled me aside and said, Kes, typically in the US, when somebody moves to quality, they get demoted because they're getting demoted, they get pushed into quality. Hmm. And you are taking a very conscious move while you are being successful here and move, moving into quality. I said, uh, that is when in 2003, I just finished my MBA and my focus was more into strategy and international business. And I saw that, hey, it might give me a great opportunity for me to learn the international culture and how do you do international aspect of the business. And he still went ahead and gave the interview when everybody else said that I'm making a stupidest move. And uh, I got the job and I had a fantastic boss there. And uh, In fact, I would say that a lot of leadership ethos that I carry forward from then on, it all comes from that boss, actually, right? And I learned quite a lot from the boss. And uh, the biggest learning from that was uh, multicultural leadership, right? And uh, a global Mm -hmm. leadership. And that's a big one. And uh, that happened in the early part of my career. And uh, even today, that is helping me as a CTO of this company. When you are a when you are a CTO of a global company, you are dealing with the global cultures and people across the globe. And the leadership lessons that uh, that uh, learned there still helps me to manage uh, global uh, organizations. I would say. Well, so experiencing that key decision you made on many different levels. Number one, you had early in your career. It sounds like an inner compass to guide you in what you want to do. Because my problem when I started my career was I was listening to everything that everyone else was telling me, hey, Ben, you should go do that. Usually what they would say was, hey, that's a great opportunity. And I was always filter it through, that's a great opportunity for me. But it wasn't always necessarily a great opportunity for me. It was just a great opportunity. You kind of have the reverse where you discovered, hey, you think that's a great opportunity because number one, it's for a boss that's going to allow me to to flourish. Also, the experience is going to be different. You weren't necessarily caught up in the ego of, well, I've got 150 people reporting to me. My next job has got to be 300 people reporting to me. Exactly. Uh, So... What was going on there? Were you able, where you were able to listen to yourself? Is this something that you've always had in your career, or did you yeah. have someone early on help develop it? Yeah, I got an attitude in life in general, saying that hey, I give I digress a bit and a little bit give an example. And again, early part of my life, uh, I used to drive a very very old Indian Premier Padmini car. Even I don't even know what it is. Like I, I don't what, know the what's it called. <laughs> Premier Padmini. Right? Okay, uh, Premier uh, Pot Mini. Pot Mini. That's a car. It's a very old car. And, uh, okay, in India. In the same time periods, actually, right? And uh, yeah. where uh, the the India was emerging, developing, and people used to buy all the newest of uh, newest tech cars with greater technology. When they still see me driving that old car, they'll come back and say, "Hey, why can't you change the car?" My answer at that in those days used to be, "Hey." The car should get the value because I'm driving it, not that I should get the value based on the car I drive. So, right, that's that used to be my attitude, and uh, and even when it comes to career decisions, I don't attach myself to the number of people I manage. Even today, I don't attach myself to the number of people I manage, and that should not be giving me the status. 
it's based on what value i drive into the role and that should give the status the second thing is what is that i am learning so the mm. inquisitiveness for learning something that i do not know always keeps me driving in my uh, personally as well as professionally well wow. and you seem like you're extremely happy right now like you just exude yeah exuding positive energy uh, approachability. You don't seem like a stuffy executive. No, I'm <laughs> I'm very happy and very positive. <laughs> like, do you do do you get that a lot? Do you do your 450 reports and people out in, uh, inside Sensormatic? Do do they do you find them to have this persona review or this impression? Like you're a, you're a yeah, very approachable yeah. executive. Yeah, yeah, they they think that I'm I'm running too fast. Actually, right? <laughs> Sometimes they want me to run slow. <laughs> oh, they want. Oh, you're going fast too on top of it. Okay, <laughs> with that positivity, right? No, okay, yeah, like the car. And so, uh, no, no, I like that, and, and thus you're able to focus on the important stuff, and I yeah. get caught up in all the uh, other details there. You had mentioned multicultural leadership lessons that you learned early because you stepped into that role. Yeah. What are some of the more vital multicultural leadership lessons that you've learned that have been instrumental for your career? I tell you, there are a couple of them actually, right? And uh, one would be like when you are, we, it had centers that role involved centers like uh, China, Poland, Israel, Malaysia, Singapore, India, US, right? It is very easy to work. We have I've been, until then, I've been working with the other country that I always worked with is US, and it's very easy to interact. And if you speak English, and not much of a difficulty from the cultural point of mm. view. Uh, but uh, when you work with this kind of diverse countries, for example, it's always you need to go very slow in explaining, both in China and Poland. Yeah, I cannot speak with the speed in which I speak, actually, right now. But uh, they will not, they, you, everybody will nod their head saying that, hey, yes, yes, yes. But actually, they're not understanding what I'm saying, right? And mm -hmm. number one lesson is be slow when it comes to dealing with some of these countries because uh, they are more prone to doing business with their native language rather than in an, in an English language, right? And you need to be conscious of that and need to be really slow in explaining what you're trying to explain, right? That is one. The other thing is, uh, if you are uh, in some of the Western countries, even Australia was one of the countries uh, involved in that. If you are looking at US, Europe, or any of the developed countries, you typically nod your head, head yes, if you nod your head straight up and down, that is yes. If you nod your head uh, left and right, that's no. But if you look at the Indian culture, many times people will say, they'll say it like this, they'll nod their head like this, but it is yes, right? Right? So it is very, uh, you have these conversations with some of these guys and they think that you are agreeing to the, these nuances I never learned actually in the pre, uh, uh. until then. So you think that you're agreeing to them. They're thinking that you're not agreeing to them. And then they will start explaining that, hey, why, why he's not agreeing, right? And the other thing is, um, the third thing, it is, it is, it was already, I already learned this. When you go into a multicultural discussions and a multi-international uh, discussions, 
it is not that every culture people explicitly express what is that they are looking for mm. and they will have lot of implicit needs which they don't express because they are not expressing we tend to overlook that many a times mm. how do you be conscious of understanding what is the implicit need of these people when you are doing this interactions very important actually and and even today it helps me and i i'll talk more as we go through this conversation that's that one of the important leadership lessons i would say that mm. understanding the implicit needs in a global environment where people come from different cultures and they don't express the same way Uh, where you will find in north america even in north america not everybody expresses the same way they will find that if you find a new yorker they will be expressing much more vocally than another another uh, city person right so those kind of nuances uh, were uh, learned in the job actually yeah i love it because you really gave us one that was simple go slow yeah. because go slow. maybe i'm assuming that the sensormatic language of preference for the whole company is probably english right correct and but not everybody has the same grasp on it and if you roll in there to make a change or you're flying quickly around and you stop in and you speak very quickly they may miss it and i suspect yeah. also there's a level of hey we need if it's really important we all need to write it down too so you can read it correct and hear it yeah and then i love how you went down one well probably 10 more levels and said there's something deeper here which is what are the explicit communication aspects and needs of the people that you're trying to communicate to. Got it. Yeah, and that's a whole another level. What do you do? I mean, what's your what's your approach to understanding someone's implicit needs? Yeah, uh one is uh over a period you you try to try to think from the other person's perspective trying to see what he or she what is the responsibility this person has what is that his goals he's trying to accomplish and from that point of view what is that will be important for that person as one way do that and it's an art actually it's not a, it's not you develop this skill over a period of time and the other is uh, uh, when in doubt ask a question right so the only way to make uh, uh, people to be more explicit even if they are an introvert or even if they have implicit needs we can pose a question to bring out the implicit need as an explicitly they can express and not many times people do that actually right if you ask a question then the other person also gets interested saying hey mm. is is wanting to understand what my uh, needs are and then they will be more than happy to express that yeah they they say hey this person's really being present they're really curious about me the individual yeah, not right. just a leader rolling here telling me what to do exactly <laughs> asking questions i can see that being a good default yeah you feel like you need to tell somebody what to do fall back on asking a question first asking a question you also are known for talking a lot about innovation culture which in a in an organization like Sensormatic I mean come on that's that's huge and all this technology that you're involved in today what are you doing to foster that that innovation culture for your, for your team that's a, it's a good question we do a uh, quite a lot actually right and in today's uh, today's world uh, with the, all the digitization that's happening across all the industries 
and no company can be slow on their innovation. They have to accelerate. And when we look at our innovation uh, uh, approach, we look at it from both sides, outside in as well as inside out. Mm. Uh, When I say outside in as well as inside out, we don't want to innovate for the sake of innovation. And we need to innovate for the real uh, pain points of a customer, right? Understand the real pain points of a customer. And then how do you come up with innovation that the customer can appreciate it and they can buy your solution? So the recent uh, recent uh, uh, change that we are driving in the company today is how do you get a customer, voice of customer inputs, right? And uh, there are many, many product companies will look at voice of customer saying, that, hey, I want to do this product, give me inputs for this product, okay? We take a mm-hmm. completely different approach and uh, we have an approach called the NPI blueprinting session and we rolled it out for all product managers in the company. We got all of them trained in this NPI blueprinting session. And uh, the, the concept is very simple where you go into, you get all these product managers, go in front of the customers. Don't talk about a specific technology. Don't talk about a specific solution. It is more of a very exploratory discovery interviews, understanding, hey, how does your business work today? What are the challenges in your business? Not in terms of providing solution for that. Generally understanding, if if you are a last prevention executive, what are your challenges today? Right? How are you dealing with the challenges and what do you do? Trying to understand the pain points of a customer. That's a very discovery interview. We do it across all customers. And when you do this kind of discovery interviews, you are going to end up with very diverse set of pain points. Right? The second part of this blueprinting, what it's an interesting approach to do that is you go back to the same set of customers whom you interviewed before for discovery. Now you ask them to ask them to prioritize all those pain points that they identified. Mm. The prioritization is in uh, two factors. How important is this pain point, right? You will have a lot of issues, but stack rank them in terms of order of importance, right? So then once you do stack rank them in the order of importance, next question you need to ask is, okay, you have something, some solutions for all these pain points. You're not happy about it. How satisfied are you for those? Uh, how satisfied are you with those solutions? Now, so now you got the priority in terms of priority pain points and the satisfaction. So now you got a stack rank order where you can filter it saying that high on importance, low on satisfaction with the current problems. Now you got the problem to go work on. Mm. So, that's an outside-in approach. We don't do it with just one customer. We try to go to multiple customers and get feedback from multiple customers to identify, is that a general market problem or industry problem or it is a one customer problem, right? We just want to work on a, a product or a solution that goes globally. So we talk to multiple customers, prioritize, and then take that problem statement, go back to our internal teams, and then we have multiple ways to innovate from the teams for the problem. Now we only got the problem. We've not got the solution, right? We go to the teams to say that, hey, we could have an individual uh, brainstorming sessions. We have discrete brainstorming sessions on a specific topic. We get a focus group into the room, put the problem, ask them to brainstorm and come up with innovative ideas. We have hackathons 
we have an annual hackathons where for the hackathons we throw these problems as a problem areas for the teams to think about and go spend a week with a cross functional team from sales to business development to engineers to product management we will form teams like that and then they build a prototype concept and come to the senior leadership and present the ideas to us that's another way and then we are heavy on patenting we mm. focus on how do you create differentiation in the market and how do you protect that differentiation before we get the teams to go focus on uh, patenting the ideas that they come up with we wow. file on an, on an average about uh, 60 patents a year are you looking to increase sales grow your brand and share your leadership message then check out our business podcast program Each week more people listen to podcasts than have Netflix accounts and one third of the US population listens to podcasts regularly. So, your customers and team are already listening to podcasts. It should be yours. Discover our five-step profitable podcast framework and what results you can expect for your company by setting up a 20-minute call with my team at benleads.com/schedule. That's benleads.com/schedule. So what's an example of this process in action? And and how might what what was the biggest or maybe what's a what's an impact item that that came out of this? There are a couple of, of examples and which are getting uh, some are getting uh, launched and some some are some are under works let me let me give you some example. One example I would say is uh, we have a, a large business uh, uh, called uh, Traffic Insights Business. The business focuses on how many how many shoppers are walking into the store today. In today's world, in a brick and mortar store, getting a shopper inside the store itself is difficult. And everybody wants to shop from home. And once you come into the store, how are you converting these shoppers effectively? How are you helping the shoppers to buy? Right, mm-hmm. that's a bigger problem for retailers. so the traffic insights business focuses on how what are the foot traffic that are coming into the store okay. which part of the store getting higher traffic at what hours kind of a thing and then map that with the labor allocation in the store optimize the labor allocation so that the retailer can get a better conversion that's okay. the value proposition of that business we thought that the given that the omni channel and a lot of shoppers are coming for fulfillment into the store basically buy online and pick up in store pick up at the curb side we thought that understanding the traffic and how it has an impact on their business uh, will be very very will be the most important problem that the retailers will be dealing with okay when we went through the voc study we realized that i don't the, the store operations uh, customer some of the store operations customer that we talked to felt that that is not the most important problem that we need to focus on there mm. is something else so that could be one example where we can say that hey otherwise we would have gone ahead and built that product thinking that that's the most because it's the inside out solve the wrong problem then it's not our own problem right and we kind of avoided uh, focusing on that that will be one example but on the other side uh, it, you can see that uh, the retail crime organized retail crime and the total retail loss that all the loss that happens in a store is a big topic in uh, today's retail world today you you hear sure. news every week right and uh, sometimes every day right they're tricky uh, in terms of how they you know shrinkage happens in organization or you know in the retail world yeah correct yeah. so so we have got um, 
Fikarder, we are very fortunate to have all global retailers willing to talk to us, and we had multiple uh, VOC sessions, and we got fantastic inputs in terms of how to go address the problem. Right, based on what we heard, we are putting together an NPI in terms of it. What basically what retailers are interested in is not try to catch after the uh, theft has happened. Hey, how do you deter the person from getting into your store and doing something, uh, do, doing any crime activities? So you can you cannot completely prevent because today some of the some of the organized retail crime guys uh, are not even bothered. Even if you are taking a picture of them, they're not even bothered. And sometimes they yeah. take it. You're like, look at me, take my picture. I'm shoplifting. Yeah. You're not going right. to catch me. Yeah. So, so still, yeah. there, still, there are uh, quite a bit of inputs that had come from that uh, from our customers, and I am really thankful to all our customers who participated in the VOC. And we are putting together a product. We are just uh, starting to build a product to mm-hmm. address some aspects of it, where it will help the retailers to deter. Uh, some of these shoplifters. I won't be able to talk more about it until we get the, get the product out, and we are in the initial stages. And I'm sure that uh, you'll see in the coming months, uh, Sensomatic is coming up with some cooler products in this area. Well, we're putting all shoplifters on notice right now. Sensomatic's <laughs> coming for you, and that sounds cool. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in there to really unpack, and I want to make sure we have time to move on too. But for listeners. KS has really shown us the importance of innovating the right way. So you have got, for lack of a better word, a you have an innovation machine that you've built inside your company, and you can point it at any problem, right? You've got the engineers, you've got the creativity, you've got the resources, the funding, but you're trying not to get off solving the wrong thing. And I think companies have gotten, leaders have got to be aware of that. And I love this process of, hey, before you start innovating, innovate the process you're using to decide what to innovate on in the first place. Don't go off and solve something that doesn't need to be solved. And all, a lot of times, I think companies will create a positive innovation, but it won't necessarily be a big hit because yep. they didn't go through the prioritization strategy. You don't want to solve your customer's problem. You want to solve the problem. Exactly. Right. And exactly. Actually, we were we were we were also focused heavily on either one or two customers in the past. I'm saying one or two customers are inside out innovation, to, uh, where people have got a cooler idea and taken it to the market. Uh, so we don't want to lose sight of the while we are focusing on outside in perspective or getting the customer feedback and then building on the working on the right problem. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we don't want to lose sight of uh, inside-out innovations as well. Where we, yeah, we'd like to. What we do is we go drive uh, people to come up with ideas. The, in the hackathon is a great example, okay. yep. and district brainstorming is another great example. The brainstorming sessions can happen. They can understand. Our teams can identify hey, what are the biggest problems that that uh, in their mind we have to go solve, and then have a brainstorming session and come up with an idea. And when we get that idea, when we get those inside out ideas, now what we are trying to do is, okay, that's a great idea. Let's go try to see a match for what are the customer feedback that is uh, uh, that we have uh, got so far. 
or okay. what is the strategic direction that the company wants to bet on is it aligning with that strategic direction when both aspects we validate and then say that okay let's take it forward and then uh, uh, implement that you need a process for both don't you inside yeah, you out need a process and outside for both. in yeah it feels like a lot of companies don't do the outside in as much as they attempt to do the inside out but even then, if you don't have the process for inside out, so ideas coming from your employees, you're going to lose one, you'll lose employees who have these great ideas because they're like, Hey, the company's not acting on them. Yeah. I've got these great ideas. They want to, they won't do them. Um, and then, so it's important that you do that. And also I love how you're matching. You have a process for matching the inside out innovation to the problems that you've already identified through your outside in. Yeah. Yeah, cool exactly, exactly. All right. So we we I I will go about an example and then this yeah, uh, in this topic it. since we are uh, yeah, we yes. just concluded this year's hackathon and uh, we had uh, sixteen plus uh, ideas, uh, sixteen plus teams participated and they demonstrated the concept actually right. Some of them were based on a customer direct direct customer feedback where we have shared hey this is an area where they need to go work on some of them were like they came up with a, an idea as a team that they have the idea this this could be cool this could be useful so just last week we just concluded an exercise of taking all those ideas uh, all the 16 ideas reviewing them and then seeing that hey where where does it match like mm -hmm. the, which of these ideas mapping to our uh, uh, customer VOC inputs and which of these ideas where it is futuristic, it is in the strategic direction that the company wants to go, we still want to pursue. So we just finished that exercise. We're going, we're going to go back to our hackathon teams and saying, hey, these are the ideas we prioritize. We think that it's worth pursuing it, taking it to the next stage. We are not just going to say that orally that we are not taking it to the next stage. We have a roadmap tool. And depending upon the portfolio area that these ideas have come, we are going to add these ideas into the roadmap tool. That means a product manager who is responsible for this particular portfolio is going to ensure that it's going to get integrated into the roadmap. It gets developed as a general available product and launched as a product. Oh, so good. Y'all, you are hearing how the best in the world innovate and have a process. You know, you don't yeah. necessarily, I mean, most people are not going to have access to 150,000 managed devices and 70,000 stores, but <laughs> you can follow a process yeah. that harnesses the, the, the energy of your, your customers and your employees, be able to find ways to make these happen. Yeah. Um, looking forward. So I'm asking you to sort of put your, get out your crystal ball here. What does the future look like from an innovation standpoint with all the data points that you guys have? Yeah, there's um, the multiple area, multiple directions it will go. Um, what I would many. say is... Uh, <laughs> Where do you uh, start? Yeah, how do you start, right? And uh, for example, we have uh, three three parts of the businesses. As, uh, as we said, last prevention, the biggest challenge is going to be, hey, how do you come up with uh, more advanced technology solutions that's going to prevent uh, shrink, right? Prevent uh, this organized retail crime guys from entering into the store. What kind of solution you can put it in the store? It's, it's more expensive than ever for companies to hold inventory, right? Because Correct. 
it gets outdated, trends change yeah. quickly, technologies, and they're going to end up with a bunch of just stuff on the shelf that doesn't make sense. And so if you don't have the visibility, if you're not guarding for shrinkage. Yeah. So the second part of the business is our inventory business. There's a lot of advancement will be happen with RFID technology. We are, we are, we are, we are leading in that space as well. And uh, more more retailers will adopt RFID for inventory accuracy as well as uh, uh, fulfilling. See, when they start, when all these brick and mortar stores start becoming fulfillment centers for online orders, then they need to know exactly how many items they have in the store, can they fulfill or not. That's going to be a bigger problem. So the technology advancements will happen there. And also, there'll be a lot more uh, AI-based solutions uh, emerging in a brick-and-mortar retail store because we want to understand uh, how the shoppers come. We typically call uh, classify shoppers as red shopper and a green shopper. This is a this is from the University of Florida, Gainesville. Uh, uh, there is a, a council called Loss Prevention Research Council, LPRC. They have come up with this terminology. We use that uh, very widely in our business. Red shopper and a green shopper. Green shopper is a good shopper who comes to the store, buys things, and pays for it and walks out. And uh, <laughs> hopefully, red those exceed the red. Then the and what's the red shopper? Sorry, I cut you. Red shopper is the one who comes and doesn't pay, steals, and goes away, right? And uh, yeah, so, I, w- I would I would put them in the red category if they're if they're stealing stuff. Okay. Correct. So so now the 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 lot of innovations in our space will come in terms of how do you how do you minimize the friction for a green shopper and how do you increase the friction for a red shopper? It's not going to be an easy problem, right? And it's going to be like, if you increase the friction, then how are you going to do it only for red shopper? And how can you not do it for a green shopper? And there'll be a lot of innovation that is coming coming in that space in terms of in general retail technology space. And then the third area is understanding the behaviors of shoppers, right? What is that they are interested in? Where do they spend time? How much time do they spend? Do they still buy? Are they getting help at the right time? Basically trying to understand the shopper behavior patterns inside the store, similar to what you can do online. If I go into a website and I click on a things, you know what I clicked uh, on, what did I look at, and what did I purchase. You have the entire uh, navigation of me online. How do we try to replicate that, digitize mm-hmm. that, in a brick and mortar store, there will be more innovations coming in that direction, and that's more to, goes towards retail digitization. Yeah, to really, to really enhance the store experience, to mirror something like online. Online, I can see that because it does. It is very customized there, and in person can be way cooler than online yeah. in terms of a visceral experience. I, mean, I can see you know walk into a store, and the music changes. Yeah, Ben's here. Um, we're gonna play some nice Americana music. Take off Taylor Swift. Sorry, Taylor Swift. Yeah, put something non Taylor Swift on because I hear that enough at home based yeah. on my Spotify listening. Yeah, so man, KS, we don't have a lot of time left, and I, I, I feel like I haven't quite done your own experience justice uh, in terms of a leader. What What's one of um, 
Once a time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, and how did it lead to your own success or growth on down the road? Yeah, one thing I would say is in my freshman years of undergraduate degree, uh, during the final exam time, my father suddenly passed away. And uh, that was an unfortunate thing. He was healthy. Everything was normal. And suddenly he got a fever and then suddenly he passed away. It all happened uh, suddenly. And I was very, very close to my father, actually. Kind of lot of lot of things I carry forward today is all the learnings uh, and the values that he, he imbibed in me. It was an unimaginable loss, even though I had a, I had a, a lot. I come, I had a lot of siblings. I was the sixth child in the family, and I, I have two wonderful elder brothers who took care of me, uh, like like my father. And uh, they today, if I have to owe my success to anyone, that is to my two brothers. Actually, right? They shaped they shaped everything for me. I. Even though I had all that support, but that loss was uh, unimaginable at that young age and the first year of undergraduation. Mm. But it changed me completely. Uh, that event changed me completely upside down, uh, mm. both personally and professionally, I would say. And whatever, whatever he is to teach in the early childhood, I am not sure whether I followed that religiously before his death. But after his death, that became my Bible. Right, he used to say, "Hey, you need to work hard. You there is you should not one should not get even a single penny without putting in the hard work for that penny. You cannot earn a penny without the hard work. Anything you earn should come from your hard work. Be be honest and not worry about the results. Focus on the effort. Put in the best effort. You will get the best result. Don't worry about the results. So these are some of the values he imbibed in me." And uh, after he he passed away, I started becoming, I, I'm a different KS. Prior my father's death and post my father's death, I'm a, really a different KS and kind of religiously started following the values he taught me so much. And then if you really look at my career, even in academics, everything, it mm. all fast forwarded after his death. That is because I was so focused on what he taught and then started following it, actually. Well, and, and how old were you when he passed? Uh, it was uh, first, uh, what, uh, must be about uh, 17, 18 years. 17 or 18. Wow, man. Yeah, so that was a real turning point, huh? It yeah. it, it, it harkens back a little bit to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath. I don't know if you read that, but he, he talks about how many leaders in the world lost a parent at a young age. And it's almost yeah. like the, the the unimaginable, like the thing, the one thing that would seem like would just throw people potentially into a spiral. Yeah. A lot of times they they take resilience and inspiration from that and they overcome great odds and become amazing leaders. You know, yep. Like, yep. like yourself, you know, from that. Yeah. It sounds like it really fueled you. Yeah, that really fueled me and I was a completely different uh, different person since then. Wow. Okay, yes, it's been a fun show, and it's funny because I didn't get to a lot of my questions, uh, but maybe we'll do a second one in the future uh, if you'd be open to that. And I'd just like you to, you know, I want to give you the floor to put the cherry on top of, the, of this interview. What's your parting thought for our listeners today? Yeah, I would say that um, there are a lot of lot of uh, people today looking for uh, 
easy answers uh, in the uh, our quick gratifying uh, gratifying results and i personally believe that uh, unless you put in uh, the real hard work and uh, have the drive for execution you're not going to get the results and you'll be lucky sometimes you'll be able to get the results i say that hard work uh, there is no substitute for hard work actually right that's what is going to make whether you are really smart or you're not really smart it doesn't matter you can overcome uh, anything and everything with your hard work all right we'll leave it there thanks Kate. yes would you or your ceo be a good fit for this podcast if you know a uniquely talented leader who has a story to share and a message to deliver, then we'd love to host them on the show. Go to benleads.com slash apply to fill out a quick form where you can let us know a little bit about yourself and my team will take a look to see if we're a good fit. That's benleads.com slash apply. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.